Hello and welcome to Meeting at the Intersections. I'm Thea. And I'm Bree. And welcome to the show. Before we start any conversation, we always like to check in with each other. So, Bree, what's bringing you energy and joy right now? Um, I think good food this week has been giving me energy and joy. I really like um, cooking and like cooking meals for other people is something that's really um, energizing for me. So I think cooking this week has been really fun. I just made some pasta and then tomorrow, if it doesn't rain, I'm going to try to grill. So I'm excited for that. I didn't realize you had a grill. I should come over. What are you grilling? First <laughs> of all, grilling? pull up. We're making some steaks, some corn, some kebabs. It's happening. All right, I'm gonna pull up. Just I'm gonna meet you at the bottom of the hill. Um, I'm not gonna climb the hill, but I'll meet you at the bottom of the hill, and then I could give you that umbrella that I've been meaning to give you for the past like since February. Um, and then that'd be great. It has been many, many rains, and I still haven't got that damn umbrella. <laughs> so that might rain. work out. Actual rain. Monsoons have happened. And every time I look in my storage closet, I'm like, wow, this umbrella is still in my home and it's not mine. You know, at least you got you got something to remind yourself of me in your house. <laughs> OK. <laughs> well, um, I'm going to check in. What is bringing me energy and joy? I would say baking, which is the sister of cooking. Um, I made some carrot cake cupcakes yesterday and they turned out really good like surprisingly carrot cake is not that difficult to make but I've never made a cake from scratch before so that was an experiment I truly enjoyed it but now I have like five extra pounds of carrots because I bought extra just in case I fumbled on the first batch so I'm going to be making a lot of things with carrot <laughs> in the next week or two. That actually sounds really, really good. You, you'll have to tell me how you made the carrot cake. I've never um, made carrot cake either. The most I baked are like cupcakes. Yeah, it's not that difficult to do. Really, it's all about getting like the carrot pieces right because no one wants giant chunks of carrot. Also, I'm one of those people who is firmly against putting raisins in carrot cake. So. There are pecans in it, but no reasons. I think putting raisins in it is is simple. No one wants like these sugary boogers in the middle of their cake. So I'll never put them in anything. Not a sugary booger. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh today is National uh, Black Women Equal Pay Day. Um in this for for this specific episode, we'll be talking about wealth and what it means to be a millennial um, and trying to navigate finances and money in 2020. Yes. So before we dive in, let's hit you with some facts. So some good news. 64% of Black students earning bachelor's degrees are women. And small businesses founded by Black women have grown by 164% since 2007. And all these facts I pulled from a Forbes article. And I have some sad news. So Black women have had to work an additional seven and a half months 
this year on top of the 12 months they worked last year just to make as much as their white, non-Hispanic male counterparts in 2019. And the second fact is that Black women lose out on roughly $1 million of income over an entire career. So we can see that there is definitely a need for a Black women equal pay day. Definitely. It's all about advocating for us as Black women to get paid what we earned and what we owe or owned, you know? So um, to structure our conversation, we decided to ask each other questions about money. Uh, Just to give a little background on both of us, we're both Black women. We both have bachelor's degrees. Bree has her master's. I'm currently in the process of earning mine. Uh, We both have what would be considered office jobs or white collar jobs. Um, So in that professional realm, our understanding of money really does vary given um, our background. And so I just thought it would be cool for us to dive into that today. Yeah, I think that um, my relationship to money has changed. Like I literally finished school um, right when the pandemic started in um, May. That's when I finished school. And at that point, I had never made anything over like eleven twenty-five in my whole life. So I was used to making minimum wage and now transitioning into working like a full-time job where I'm getting paid pretty well. Um, it was a lot to, I think, cope with. Like the first time I got my paycheck, like a real adult paycheck, I was like, wow, like I can't even believe that I just like earned this amount of money. Like, what do I even do with that? Yeah, I also understand that feeling uh coming from a background a working class background when i graduated from undergrad immediately i was making more than my parents ever did uh in their lifetime so it was definitely a shock to me to earn that much and to try to delve into things like health insurance through your employer, which that's something my parents never experienced and paying into a pension, which is becoming more and more uncommon, but that's something that um, I get through my employer. So trying to navigate those different changes without um, familial support can be very difficult. So Bree, what's your first money memory? Like what's the first time you've thought about money as a concept um I remember it being my birthday and I was pretty young I think I was like six or seven and my grandma would give me like money in a card so like twenty dollars or forty dollars whatever she could put at the time and I remember um I was so excited to like go to the store and like buy something for myself So when I was young, I was like, oh, money is an exchange. Like if I have money, that means I can get the things I want. Like at the time I wanted like a candy bar or something, but I just knew that when I wanted these things, my mom would buy it for me. So up until that moment, I didn't know that like I, I could have money all on my own to buy the things that I want. I thought it was just like magic, like adults just had money. Yeah, I definitely get that magical thing. Like growing up in here and you got McDonald's money, you got money for that. So when I was, I don't know how it was, but I had to be in elementary school and I started to earn an allowance. And I realized that the more I saved this allowance, the more things I could buy. 
So when I did want something and my parents would say, you got money for that? I would actually have money for that. So that understanding of like savings and building wealth and what it means to like having more money equals more things and more things equal more power or more responsibility. That's where I first got that idea from. I think it's uh, interesting that, you know, I think we both learned at a young age that like money gets us the things we want, but the more money we have, the more like things we'll be able to buy. Um, It kind of drives home that like point about like materialism. So like the more money you get as a child, the more you save up, the more toys you'll be able to buy, the more things you'll be able to like access. Right. Exactly. Like that accumulation of things, like having more things made you more popular, made you more likable as a child. So we start to equate wealth with success, with being better than everyone else. I could get on my soapbox and uh, talk about how harmful capitalism is to young (laughs) children. Start it. Off. <laughs> like like the idea that at a young age we already know that like if we have money we're able to access things that other children don't have or it makes us like feel that like we're better than other children like I have a brand new Barbie house my friend doesn't have a brand new Barbie house like I feel like I'm a little better than him and a little um better off and that those type of things still stick with me. Like even today as an adult, like if I have something, like if I have a new car, oh, I have a new car that someone else doesn't have. That means I'm better off than them financially. I mean, there's a reason why people flex on Instagram and stuff. It's about, it's a status symbol. The more things that you have and the more expensive everyone knows it is, the more people want it. That's the reason why people buy Yeezys, even though they're ugly shoes, because they're so expensive. It's, it's a status symbol. It's not about the quality. It's really about the quantity of it. Like how many of these things exist in the world, how expensive it is, how um, elusive it is to some people that gives it the most value. I'm wondering, uh, going off of this conversation we're having about capitalism, what are some things that scare you about money? We should just title this capitalism bad. <laughs> Ooh, what scares me about money? Not having it, honestly. Like I said, you know, I grew up poor. Well, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I grew up poor. I grew up the type of poor that you, that is like, no one wants to like talk about like that type of poor. And so because I know what it's like to not have money and that understand that like scarcity and that sense of desperation that comes from not having money, not having it is a big concern to me. Um, I remember when I first got my bank account when I was 18, um, I put every little penny I earned into that savings account um, and will only buy like the necessities because I'm so uncomfortable with the lack of money. And it takes me a long time to purchase things. I am not an impulse buyer. I am the type of person who will bookmark 
um, an online shopping cart for months and just like look at it periodically to make really make sure that is this what you want? Are you sure? Because once you spend it, it's gone. So yeah, that fear really dictates how I think about spending my money. What scares you about money? Um, I would agree. Um, like having a scarcity of it or like not having enough. Like right now I actually work um two jobs when like I don't have to. The only reason I have two jobs is like to to acquire and save more money in case something happens or I like I can't work my full-time job anymore. I always have that secondary income. Um, I think something else that scares me about money is that so when I first started working full time and I got my first paycheck, the actual first thing I thought was like, wow, I don't deserve this. So I was my whole life equating the money that I wasn't getting because I was getting paid minimum wage to like my worth, um, which which can be pretty harmful if you're tying like how much you're getting paid to, you know, if you're doing a good job or how much you're worth as a person. Let's delve a little into that. Where do you think that feeling of unworthiness came from? Is it because you um, recently graduated, so you feel like you haven't had that long time, much time in this field to warrant that pay? Or is it the shock of getting paid what you're worth for the first time? What do you think triggered that response in you? Well, therapist Fia, um, <laughs> I think that it probably was a combination of all of those things. Like now I'm in a position where like people pay me for my services and like it's it's something that I know I couldn't afford when I was growing up or when I was in their position. Like I couldn't afford like to pay such and such amount of dollars out of pocket for like one session. Um and I also think that like somehow somehow I internalized that like you only deserve minimum wage because that's all you got. And the idea of being a black woman that you have to work, you have to work so hard to get where you uh want to be in life. And I genuinely felt like, yes, I work hard, but I wasn't like working myself to the bone to like get that type of money. So I was like, wow, I didn't even work hard enough to deserve this wage, which which isn't true. Like I work hard and I deserve to be paid what I'm worth and um, get paid well for what I do because I do a good job. So I'm still working on kind of un, un, uninternalizing those thoughts. Those, thank you for sharing. Those thoughts can really stop people from pushing themselves. Um, an experience that happened to me recently was when I was transitioning from the job that I had coming out of uh, undergrad um, into a new one and the pay they were trying to start me off at the lowest you can pay someone for that position um, not taking into consideration my experience and I had a lot of fear and anxiety to negotiate my pay and what took me like what pushed me to be able to negotiate that was talking to um a mentor who happens to be a white male who basically coached me through that. And hearing your story, it made me think like, wow, if I didn't have this person who has privilege over me in society, push me and coach me through this uh, negotiation, I don't think I would have been able to, to do it. And it's just like, 
where did I ever get that message that says, don't negotiate for your pay? They're not going to pay it. You know, that, that negative self-talk where we are out here earning all these degrees and accolades and certificates. But when it comes down to earning from those uh, accomplishments, we're so afraid to demand what we want. I think for me, it always boils down to um, if I if I advocate for myself, the employer is going to say no and then I won't have a job and then I'll be forever in debt and then I'll be mm. poor. Like my head like jumps to that place. That's totally not unrealistic because um, people will can fire you for any reason. Like people get fired just for having locks. So you think they won't fire you for negotiating your contract? It's, it's rough out here in the workforce being a black person because I think you have to be aware of all these different factors and how the people in the room are going to perceive you because they could easily not see it as you negotiating your contract. They could easily say, oh, you're just an angry black person. You're being really ungrateful. Right, right. And for me, when I was doing uh, my most recent job search, I would think have the confidence and arrogance of a white male like you know what you're doing your resume speaks volumes and you're gonna kill it and that kind of helped me uh to like have that kind of confident air about myself it's like well yeah I could get fired from this job but they'll miss me because I have the the skill set that they need so it's a very complicated situation because you want to advocate for yourself and not be a pushover, but you don't want to be perceived as angry or combative or difficult. Yeah, I think this also intersects with uh, something else we're probably going to spend more time talking about in the upcoming weeks as uh, being a Black person and existing in like white spaces. Because some of this is coming from having to exist and work in white spaces where they tell you, oh, you're a dark skinned black woman. Like you're not you're not worth it indirectly. You're getting told that every day, even though you're working harder than every white man in the room. So I think some of this is societal and some of this is also like working personally in spaces with other white people who, you know, are getting treated better than you and who, you know, are getting paid more than you. Right. And then the question of well what do I do about it I know what's happening I don't know where to to turn to I think I like what you were saying though about um advocating for yourself I think it's important to always advocate for yourself and negotiate your wages and don't be afraid to do that because we've been we've been conditioned for so long to not believe in what we're worth that we're even scared to approach it and fight for the things that we deserve in life. So I definitely agree that maybe it starts with you like individually ad advocating for yourself, advocating for your salary, advocating for like yearly raises, whatever it may be. Right. And fighting against that scarcity mentality that our society creates in the workforce. Everyone, everyone's afraid of getting fired. Everyone feels disposable. Uh, 
people in our generation, we switch jobs and career paths in ways that previous generations couldn't even imagine. You know, when my parents were young, people would find a job and work their way up through the job. There was a chain of command. There was a future already laid out ahead of you. You just had to do the work to achieve it. But now there there's no such thing anymore in a lot of companies. There's no clear linear path to success. There's no top level. It's just a whole bunch of bottom levels. So because of that, it breeds competition and that makes people even more weary to fight against um, those stereotypes in the workplace, to fight against their own fears and doubts because people feel like, well, I have a job and that's enough. Especially now, um, you know, we're hitting into a recession uh, and Things are becoming more and more difficult and those wealth disparities are becoming more and more apparent every day. I think also uh, recognizing that we're both, you know, we're privileged in that we both have uh, college degrees that allots us that security. So because of the type of degree I have, I could quit my job tomorrow and probably be okay because I have this degree that opens some doors for me. But other people who like don't have a college education might not have that safety net. So it might be hard and scary for them to transition um, to a whole other job. Yes. Um, and, you know, I definitely am try to remember that when I uh, feel like disparaged. It's like, well, you have you have your degree you're getting another degree, you have work experience. Like I've never had, I never earned minimum wage. Every job that I ever had, I earned more than the minimum wage. So I'm privileged in that I never had to like make a way with the minimum. And that shapes my perspective about these things. I'm wondering, um, because we're not we're not all up in each other's finances but like what is one money habit that we admire about each other i admire about you that even when you were working like minimum wage you always found a way to have like nice things and you take care of your things um you're the type of person who will invest in um, a product or equipment that is expensive, but you'll take good care of it so you can have it in the future. Um, and I admire that because, you know, a lot of things are treated as disposable. Like I'll get a new cell phone every year. I'll get a new laptop every year. I'll get a new gaming system every year. And you don't live by that philosophy. You're like, I'm going to keep using this until the wheels fall off type person. <laughs> and I admire that a lot. You know, it's funny because um, I was just talking to a friend and like my um my iPhone is like overheating, Um, I think because of the case. And my friend was like, just get just get a new one. Like when they come out with the iPhone 12, just get a new one. And I'm like, no, I had my iPhone six for like f forever. Like I had it until the home button broke and I could not unlock it anymore. <laughs> So now I'm like, should I even spend more money on a new phone? I don't need a new phone. It's fine. 
does the newer iPhones even have like a physical home button on it? No. No, they don't. <laughs> they don't. I just like, so I made the jump from like an iPhone 6 directly to like an iPhone XS. Like that is how long I had the iPhone 6. There, there have been like several iPhones without home buttons that came out before I got this one. That's real dedication. Like real dedication <laughs> um what i admire about you it's like your your willingness to to save because i feel like in my life like i'm just learning that oh i need to save money not that i didn't save before but like i saved a lot more than i did before because like what if something happens uh what if i need to buy like a new furnace or a new refrigerator or all of these other things that come up um and you're a person that like plans a lot with money so like, where is my money going to go when, when are my bills coming out? Um, and then you also plan for like shit that you don't even think of. So like, what if like, I need to go to work and the car is not working? Like, what do I do? I need to have money set aside for that. And I really admire that about you because it, it allows for you to have a little bit of space in your budget. So you don't hit E every time something happens and you empty your savings account. Thank you. You know, there are some people in the world who give me a lot of flack for being uh, tight-fisted, I guess, <laughs> with my money. I, I, I prefer to say I'm a responsible consumer. Um, and when it comes to like saving, I know that when I get my degree, I don't want to feel like I have to take any job just so I can make money or to like justify the cost of my degree. So currently I'm saving, I finished saving for a car. So now I'm saving just in case I decide to take a break from working for a few months after I graduate. Um, so I can do that as well. And I, I just love spreadsheets and <laughs> planning where my money goes. It, it brings me um, a sense of control. Because uh, working, there's no guarantees that you'll have a job today or tomorrow. Just like during COVID, like reunited that like anxiety in me because I, I'm a state employee. So um, budget cuts are happening and, you know, they're not giving any definite answers about like furloughs and layoffs. So it's all up in the air. And when I got that news, I was like, oh, let me, let me save. Like, yeah, they can guarantee like, oh, we're not, the goal is to cut corners. I meant cut costs, but not cut people, you know, cut costs, not cut people, but paying people cost things. So I don't understand that line of reasoning, but yeah, Sa saving is important. Um, no one wants to be on E, even if you only have like $5 in your savings account. That's something. It's not zero. I've been uh watching this uh he's like a like a money manager, like Susie Orman. His name is David, um, Dave Ramsey. Um, and he kind of preaches about living like a debt-free lifestyle, which is something like I I just thought that money was part of like living, but like it is possible to not have debt. And one of the first things he said was to have a rainy day fund of uh, $1,000. And that's your first step to building wealth is actually, you know, saving. So I think you're ahead of the ball with building wealth if you've been saving for such a long time. 
Yeah, I I definitely try, and I know all about Dave Ramsey. My my girlfriend is definitely into this whole uh, fire movement, which is like, what does the F stand for? I know the RE is like retire early. Oh, finance financial financial independence, retire early. So this is the idea of like you can if you pay off all your debts or you don't have any debt and you save enough money you don't really have to work because you're we're basically working to pay off debt that we accumulate throughout the the month that's the reasoning behind it you know these are all new concepts that i've just learned in the past two years or so because like my parents didn't have a bank account you know they pay for everything in like cash or like money orders so like even having a bank account and writing a check the first time i wrote a check was so confusing. I had to Google, uh, Google it because I didn't know. Same. <laughs> how to write a check. <laughs> I was like, "How is it different from a money order?" And I was like, "Explained <laughs> to me." And I was like, "Oh wow, I girl, a whole new world, whole new world was playing in the background." I was filling out this this check because I didn't know. Yeah, uh, I think something else I like about um, I'm just dying because I, I had the same experience with a check. Uh, it was like some foreign concept. Like, why is how is this money? But it's but it's a piece of paper and not the real money. Like, how are they even going to get the money? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, something else I like from uh, David Ramsey's philosophy is that you build wealth to share it with others, which is very much going against the indiv- individualistic capitalist like ideals that were taught here in America. So once you build this wealth, you like donate to charity or you help, you know, build wealth for other family members. You do all of those things. So wealth is about giving to others and not necessarily amassing it for yourself. Right. That the concept of generational wealth is so important to people of color, um, but particularly black Americans, because those opportunities were systematically taken away from us. So now for me, I think about that all the time. Like, even if I don't have children, I'll have nieces or nephews, um, my friends' kids. Like, if I could be that rich auntie that, like, pays for everything, that would be, like, the ultimate, <laughs> the ultimate goal. So not necessarily about accumulating a bunch of money to be just for the sake of being rich. I would purposefully give it away and I also don't believe that there should be billionaires because what do you need all that money for what are you doing with it that's that's just how I feel about it but that's another anti-capitalism rant (laughs) for a different conversation no I felt that um when you talk about things like the one percent of the people in the U.S. have the all of the all of the country's wealth and the other 99 percent are just scraping by that that's ridiculous and i don't think it should be that way there should be a way where we everybody can get a piece of the pie not just a select few at the top who are who are privileged right like who we we as in humans we set the value of a job we create the value of money because it's all an abstract concept and money is just a piece of paper and a job is just a way to structure your time so we place value on that. So for me, the minimum wage should be higher for a fast food worker because it's not just teenagers 
or dependents who want a little extra money. These are adults who are trying to raise families. So what is the point of devaluing their position and not paying them enough to survive in, in the world? Just doesn't make sense to me. Again, I am going to go in white supremacy all to death, probably. Oh, um, because <laughs> because of white supremacy, <laughs> that is why things are structured the way they are. Um, and there really needs to be a lot of systemic changes. So if we all build generational wealth, that would be great, right? But if the same systems are in place that like, kept our grand our grandmoms and our granddads and dead are still in existence, they can still plague our future generation as well. So I think it really takes some deep systemic changes and overhaul of everything. Right. They like, you know, there's no point of building generational wealth if the the home that you purchase for your family to pass along to happens to be in uh, a gentrified neighborhood and your family in the future gets priced out of that neighborhood. All that wealth that you built disappears. Or if you try to pass down a business and you know, that family, like a family grocery store, and then a chain comes in and that store becomes obsolete. Again, that wealth is gone. So it, it's a twofold effort, like you were saying, and it's both individual responsibility and a societal responsibility as well. We've been talking a lot about um, like the negatives of money. So what would it take to make us feel happy about money at this point? On uh, an individual level, it would be enough money where I could buy whatever I want with the understanding that whatever I want isn't something ridiculous like uh, a Lamborghini. Like I want to be able to buy a house with some land that I can like have a little farm on and like be able to like go on vacations and uh really help my family or anyone that's close to me that needs something or if I could like walk into a building and people are trying to pay a bill and like I'll pay the bill for everybody and everyone claps like <laughs> like just be able to take care of myself so I can help other people and not have student loan debt because that that right there <laughs> is trash. <laughs> These damn student loans, I'll tell you. Oof. Um, but I think what would make me happy actually, I've been thinking a lot about um like a home owner a home home ownership. Um and like owning like property and land is something that I thought I couldn't do before. But now I'm talking to other people who like work in the housing market and they're like, no, that's probably attainable for you. You could probably own a house, which is something that I really want to work towards to own my own property. I think that's just such an amazing thing to be able to achieve in your lifetime. And also having enough money to where I don't have to like, I don't have to think about like, can I afford the $5 bag of chips or the $2 bag of chips. Like I want to be able to like not have to struggle so much uh, when thinking about how much I want to spend on certain things. Like if I want to be able to afford my groceries for the month, I still have to like plot it out very carefully instead of just buying like all of the things that I want, like steak and shrimp and lobster. <laughs> um, 
but on a systemic level, I would really love, we're going to lose some viewers, but I don't even care. Uh, I would really love if like capitalism, like wasn't a thing. And if we had like a trade economy or something like that's what our ancestors in Africa had a trade economy and they, they worked out just fine. They had no concept of this capitalism and all this money. They worked together in community. And that's, that's the most important thing is community. So building a community of people that help each other, that all have wealth and not just one person. Yeah. I have to look into that more. I like, I hear like, um, you know, anti-capitalistic arguments before, um, but there's never like any backup in terms of like what could replace it at this point because I feel like we're so far gone that it's like embedded in like everything that we do from holidays to how we think about ourselves to like how we take care of ourselves like this this is another rant but like the the self-care movement has Mm. become commercialized you know so like everything that is done is based on money and wealth because money equals power power. (laughs) so it's like how can we build a more equal society? We as in like everyone. And I don't, I don't really know. You know, I, I've been thinking about this a lot. Like um, I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos about uh, Black Americans uh, saving money to like move out of the U.S. to other countries just because they're like systems of how money is distributed is different. Like, like Canada with like the the healthcare options, for example, that a lot of uh countries have that we that we don't. It really depends it really comes down to what do we consider a basic human right and what do we consider something that needs to be earned. And currently everything needs to be earned. But the funny thing about it is that the people at the top like don't they don't really earn their wealth. Like they benefit off the backs of people of color and those people who are working minimum wage jobs. That that's who benefits from it. Like Jeff, um, Jeff Bezos, like the owner of Amazon, like he is so rich because he benefits from all of his employees working in those warehouses and he doesn't even pay them a livable wage. He hasn't given them um, PPE um, personal protective equipment while they're working in these warehouses, but he's sitting there sucking up all the money and not giving them a wage. That's fair. Right. Right. But if you talk to an average person on the street, they would say, well, Jeff Bezos earned his money. Yeah. He came up with that idea, but is he doing like the work? No. And he wouldn't lose anything by paying everyone a livable wage, you know? So it's accumulating money for the sake of having more power, not necessarily to buy things. And that's really the difference between the classes. It's like, how are you using money? Are you collecting it because it equals more power? Or are you collecting it because you need it to live? And, the, and those differences uh, become more and more amplified every day, especially now during the the pandemic, which doesn't seem like it's going to end ever. <laughs> That's not very positive. We should probably try to end this on positive note. <laughs> well, uh, what are some financial goals 
that we would like to work towards? I know I have a lot of them for myself, but I'm interested in hearing some of the things that you want to work towards with money. For me, I would like to have a year's worth of my salary saved away. I would like to uh, have a handle on my student loans. Right now they're in a deferment because I am in grad school, but when I'm out of grad school, that's gonna change. Luckily, I didn't have to pay for grad school. That's awesome. But those undergrad loans, man, I, I would have to tackle. And getting married, you know, I don't want to have, I'm not a Brazilla. <laughs> but I would like to have a nice wedding and you need money for that and long 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 term goal uh, money for children because I can't make a baby for free so even when you could make a baby for free you still have to like pay for the child and child care is so expensive so those are my money goals to save and come up with a lifestyle where I could um, make those things come into fruition. So I think my goals are I really want to um, own a home. So right now I'm paying down my student loans as much as possible and then saving at the same time to be able to put 20% down for a home in the future. Um, definitely included in that is paying off my student loans because I don't want to be paying nobody for 30 years just because I decided to get an education. Um, I also want enough money saved up to be able to travel. I think traveling is something that's really important because you're traveling and you're experiencing different walks of life and different worldviews and different cultures. And I've already, I've always been fascinating and wanting to travel. I just don't have the money for that. Um, and then like my long-term goal was to open open my own business um, and help, you know, other people, um, disenfranchised people, people of color and marginalized people uh, with my business. And then hopefully have enough money to give back to poor, low-income low communities and give back to my family. Yes, build that generational wealth with that business and give back to your family. I see you. <laughs> I'm, I'm only on step one, sis. Step one. Okay, but you on the step, though. That's all that matters. <laughs> facts, facts. Okay, well, that wraps up today's episode about money. Um, Bree, did you have anything else you would like to say? Uh, yes. Um, if you have any responses to what we said today, you want to share your own experience with money, uh, you can email us at meeting at the intersections with us at gmail.com. We are soon to have an Instagram page, which probably will be meeting at the intersections. Uh, if nobody stole the name, we don't know yet. Um, and I look forward to dialoguing with you all and getting to know you all. So thanks for listening. And thank you for listening and make sure that you continue to take care of yourself. Yes. Be kind to yourselves because you really deserve it. <laughs> <laughs>